I was reading this uh, article. It's kind of uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it was by this this guy who worked at a college or university out west. I forget the school, um, but he was in administration. He was a uh, in the admissions office. And uh, in this article, he's describing basically the process they go through to admit, accept um, incoming freshmen. Um, and really what it described was a pretty monotonous uh, process. He was, he says, it's kind of tough, it's kind of painful because you got hundreds of essays from these high school seniors that you got to read. And he said they all pretty much say the same thing. They all basically say how great they are, these kids, and how they would be wonderful for their school, and, uh, and they just list their resume, and it's you know, almost always pretty inflated. I mean, you think these kids are gonna be like you know, CEO next, next month, practically. They're just very, very much promoting, which I get, you know, and he gets too. It's like, yeah, we're, they're trying to put their best foot forward and impress these admissions people. But he's like, he's like come on, you're like, they're 17. How could they've achieved all these things in such a short period of time? So as a result, you're kind of like, he says, they just, you know, one is just like the next, like the next, like the next. Anyway, he described this experience. He had one day when he was going through that process and he found this particular essay and it caught his attention. Um, this is part of what this, it was a, a high school uh, a senior girl who was applying to this school. She said in her essay, she said, I'm not a great student, and in all honesty, I'm not much of a leader. You could say that I'm incredibly average. I work hard for the grades I get. For the past three summers, I've worked at a camp for children with cancer. At first, I was terrified that I'd say something stupid or I'd do something that would add to their pain. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed working with these kids. I've been even more surprised at everything I've learned from them about life and, and death, about coping with illness and disappointment, about what's really important and good. So I'd like to work with chronically ill and physically challenged kids. I would pursue a I'd like to pursue a degree in education and psychology so that I might try to give these boys and girls something of what they've given me. And that's why I want to go to your school. Anyway, this, uh, like I said, this, this kind of caught his attention and he said that he, uh, he got up, made four or five more copies of it and handed them out to the other admissions people that were, I guess, in the office. And they all read it at the same time. And he said, uh, yeah, they all pretty much finished at the same time. And he said, unanimously, each person got up, took the, took the essay or the application, and dropped it right in the uh, accepted file. You know, I guess they had a pile where, okay, these are the people that they're going to make the school. Um, anyway, his point, which is really my point, uh, his point in this little article was that it was her honesty and her humility that was really the difference. I mean, it really wasn't her grades. Her grades were, were okay, you know, probably a, maybe enough to get her in, but she didn't have great grades. Um, she didn't have a really great anything, and she kind of acknowledged that. He said basically what, what, what separated her from everybody else pretty much was she said, I'm not perfect, and I'm not the best, and I'm not extraordinary. 
fact, there's probably lots or maybe most of the people out there that are as good or maybe better than I am in lots of categories. I'm not claiming to be the best. But I want to teach and I want to serve. And I think I have a good heart. And uh, yeah, and I mean, you also need the grades. I'm not saying the grades don't matter. But this guy said that this, this is what stood out. And it just seems to me it's like it's the power of humility and the importance of humility. Like when we don't puff ourselves up, when we don't project this sort of, you know, I'm better than everybody um, image. Rather, when we're like, well, we're like the guy in the gospel. Like there's two characters in this gospel. It's really, it is this gospel. What happened to that girl and what that admissions guy recognized, it's this parable. You got these two people and they present themselves to God in very different ways. You got this Pharisee and his prayer is like, it's almost comical. It's basically he's saying, you know, God, uh, listen to me, follow or, or, or hear my prayer because I'm not like the rest of everybody. I'm not greedy. I'm not dishonest. I'm not, I don't cheat on people. I'm, he's literally, he says, I'm better than everybody else. So that's why God you got to accept me, and that's why you got to hear my prayer. Well, that does not impress Jesus. And he contrasts this guy with this tax collector, who kind of doesn't really say anything other than, have mercy on me, because I have messed up my life. It says he stood off at a distance. This was sort of his prayer. He stood off at a distance, wouldn't even raise his eyes, and he said, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And that's the one who Jesus sort of raises up. That's the one we're supposed to be like, not a tax collector. I don't want to make this guy out to be a hero. He was, he was not a good person. You know, if you were a tax collector in that day, you, you aren't living a good life. So I'm not going to take, say, make bad stuff not so bad or make bad stuff okay. He big list of mistakes, but he was honest about it. And he came in and before God, he was like, yeah, I just haven't done things right. So forgive me. Give me another shot. And this is what it says. This is sort of the conclusion of the parable. For whoever exalts himself, whoever exalts himself, who raises himself up, will get knocked down like the Pharisee. And the one who humbles himself, he or she is the one that will be exalted. That's the point. That's, you know, is the irony of who's the one who gets gets dumped, whose application gets dumped in the acceptance pile above everybody else, the one who acknowledged her lack of perfection. She, didn't, she wasn't saying she was the best candidate for this place. And she's the one that gets accepted sort of right away. I mean, think about it. You know, when somebody tells you they've met somebody famous, say you're talking to a friend and they say, yeah, I was in the city the other day and I met this movie star or this athlete or, you know, some famous person. Like, we always kind of stop. We're always intrigued by that. You know, what's the question you always want to know when somebody tells you that they met somebody famous? I mean, what is it usually? What's he like? What are they like? Like, that's what we want to know. Like, we don't want to know who they are. We know who they are. That's, that's why they're even telling us, because they're famous. They're big. They're a celebrity. Like, we already know that. We want to know. You know what we want to know? Are they like the Pharisee or the tax collector? Are they full of themselves or are they humble? 
Because we're kind of hoping, or at least I think we're, we're curious, at least about like, yeah, I mean, the whole world knows he or she has achieved a lot. Everybody knows them. But when you talk to them one-on-one, are they, are they down to earth? Are they regular people? I got a friend of mine who was a, used to be a city police officer. He's now retired. And for a while, he worked the precinct. I'm not even sure which one it is, but right by Broadway. And he used to tell me these stories. Like Every time I'd see him, every couple of months, he'd have stories about famous people. Because in Broadway, you know, you had, well, you got the, the performers themselves, I guess. Then you have just famous people going to see shows. So he'd always have a, a, a list of famous people he met. And I'd always ask, what were they like? And it was just always interesting. He said, you know, he, some were the Pharisee and some were the tax collector. He said, some of them were so full of themselves, you couldn't believe it. They were just so like entourages and wouldn't even look at you. And then he said, other people, equally famous, would stop. They'd thank you. They'd look you in the eye. They'd, you know, thank the police officer for doing what he does. Like you never forget those people. You just, you never forget their humility and their goodness. And that's very simply, I think that's what he's just really challenging us with and to be about in this gospel. And I think this, I think today, like somewhat maybe in our culture, we've always, I guess, been kind of celebrity crazy. I mean, we've always been fan magazines and that kind of stuff. But today with, you know, social media, technology, like, you know, I've, I've, you, you see articles about this, how like we've potentially becoming, we're becoming almost like narcissistic. Like what we, what we do is we, we tell everybody, uh, you know, online, Facebook, whatever, whatever, whatever mechanism we use, like how good our life is and how much we're succeeding and, and all the successes, how great our kids are doing. And some would say that it's just over the top. Like, and I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate success. And I'm not saying we shouldn't congratulate and, and acknowledge and acknowledge it. But sometimes you're, you know, sometimes I'll read stuff that somebody says about their kids, and I'm like, right, that wasn't even that big a deal. Like, does this thing really warrant being projected all over the planet that your kid got this or scored that or won that? It's like my thing is this, it's like, is that maybe at odds with a humble spirit? Like, is that a little bit more, isn't that a little bit more like the, the Pharisee in the gospel? I mean, this Old Testament reading, it says real simple, it says uh, from Sirach, the first reading, it says the, the spirit, uh, the prayer of the humble pierces the clouds. The prayer of the, so people who are humble, the prayers of people who are humble, their prayers crash through the clouds symbolically. In other words, God likes humility. God hears the prayer of the humble. Humility matters. Like, humility is a really good virtue. And when we're, or if we're on some level puffing up ourselves and the people we love, maybe more than we should at times, like, and it's, it's a thing we've almost, like, stumbled onto, just the ability now, from a technical perspective, we can do these things. So, like, I'll tell everyone every thought I've ever had. When in reality, lots of people don't really care. Like they don't really want to hear every thought I've ever had. Because most of my thoughts probably aren't, won't warrant being broadcast. Um, I was reading an article about this and it said that they call it the success theater. It was interesting. 
success theaters. Like we, we have the ability now to kind of like through cyber space create these narratives. This is who I am. This is my life. And it's, it's success theater. It's only the, the positive stuff. Like, and I'm not saying we should be projecting our failures on Facebook either. I just, it's like, maybe there's just too much of good and bad. Like maybe just, I don't know, maybe a little more humility. Like if my kid is doing well, like let somebody else come up and say, hey, I heard your kid did, did really well on this. Like, yeah, he did. Oh, we wouldn't deny it. I just don't know if we, is this gospel saying maybe we shouldn't be projecting it. Listen to this quote. All the world's religions are essentially aimed at transcending self-centeredness, promoting humility. Social media, on the other hand, can be seen as a temple of the self. You know, I'm not saying that's a fact, and I'm not saying you know you have to agree with that, but they think that's interesting. Like it's a it's a temple of the self. I don't know if you if you're old enough. Do you remember the movie? Those of you old enough, I remember the movie. This was in the early early 70s. I think it was 73. Papillon. Remember that they did a remake about two years ago. I didn't see that, but the original I love. Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. It's like a prison film, and it's based on a true story. This Frenchman who was uh, convicted of murder, but he was innocent. Papillon, Steve McQueen plays this guy. And the whole movie is basically this guy escaping. He keeps escaping from this brutal prison. It's a French Guyana in uh, the 1930s. It's just awful the way these guys are treated. Each time he escapes, he gets caught. And then the punishment is even more severe. Anyway, there's this great scene. He escapes at one point, partially escapes. He gets to this island, which... From that island, he needs to get a boat, which will then make him ultimately free. So he knows there's boats on this island, but he's got to get permission to get a boat. To add to it, the island where the boats are, it's a leper colony. So he's got to go into this leper colony, which is frightening, dangerous, and he's got to secure a boat in order to ultimately secure freedom. And it's this awesome scene. He, he lands on this island and it's at night and it's very creepy. It's um, in the shadows. You can see these lepers. Like you never quite fully see them. They're almost like zombie-like. He's scared to death. He's afraid of them. He's afraid he's going to contract leprosy. And he, uh, he asks where the, the guy in charge is and they take him to like the head leper, I guess. And this guy is like in this little hut and he goes in and it's dark and this guy is in the shadows, this guy in charge, he has leprosy. And you don't see him, you just kind of his silhouette. And he's talking to Steve McQueen and McQueen's asking for the boat and the guy knows why, he want, why he's there. He knows he wants the boat and he's got no intention of giving it to him. He's totally playing with him. And McQueen is desperate and frightened and he's, he's looking, oh, and the leper is smoking a cigar and you can kind of see the, the smoke billowing up over him. And you see McQueen looking at it, and he's like, he's almost like lusting after. He would love, you know, the look on his face is, I haven't had a cigar in, since I've been in prison. And the leper can see this. So the leper says to him, would you like a cigar? So McQueen goes, yeah. So then the leper leans forward, and he comes into the light, and you see this sort of frightening face. And then he takes the cigar in his hand. He's like missing two fingers. And he takes the cigar out of his mouth. And he leans over and he gives it to Steve McQueen. So it's like, 
you want a cigar? So now McQueen is like, you know, what do I do now? Do I, do I insult this guy? So he's got this sort of frightened look, and then he takes it, and then he puts it in his mouth, and he takes a puff on it. Then the leper says to him, how did you know I wasn't contagious? And Steve McQueen says, I didn't. And then the leper says, okay, you got your boat. And he gives him the boat. Um, he gets caught again. He gets caught again, and you know, it doesn't all work out. Um, but he gets his temporary freedom. And it was it not on some level because he says, I'm willing to become one of you. Like, I'm not going to keep my distance the way powerful people do. I'm not going to be like the Pharisee. I'm going to be the tax collector. I'm going to be one with you. I'm going wi- to risk it all. And in that, this leper goes, like he melts the leper's heart because of his humility. I mean, that's the power of humility. It worked for Papillon, and it worked for the tax collector, and it worked for the high school senior getting into that college. It just works.